Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Remember this. The flag protests began 10 years ago. Loyalists are extremely angry that there is to be a restriction on the number of days that the flag could be flown at Belfast City Hall. On the night of the 3rd of December 2012, Belfast City Council takes a vote which leads to instant protests. It was supposed to be a peaceful protest about flying the Union flag, but it was anything but... The Union flag had flown every single day from City Hall for over 100 years. But now Nationalist and Alliance councillors had voted to fly it on only 18 so-called designated days a year. The protests are all about the flag, but scratch the surface here and the issues run much deeper. The working class, uh, Protestant ghettos of Belfast, things are, are pretty bad. High unemployment, uh, a, a sense that politics are going against them, that they're being left behind by the peace process and that they haven't got a benefit from it. Loyalist protesters tried to storm the building after news of the result trickled out to the hundreds gathered outside. Those people engaged in the kind of violence we've seen in the past few days are not defending the Union flag. There is nothing remotely British about what they're doing. They are dishonouring and shaming the flag of our country. Thousands of social media organised protests led to chaos throughout the winter. They were mostly peaceful. But some led to rioting, hundreds of injuries and a massive bill for businesses. As those protests continue, so too has the level of intensity. They have been escalating. Last night, we had the attempted murder of a police officer. Joining me to take us through that tumultuous period is the Belfast Telegraph security correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison, welcome to Belltel once again. Let's set the scene. I think we all remember the flag protests. But And it's amazing that 10 years have passed, but how did all this come about? Well, the sort of decide what happened on that, that eventful evening at Belfast City Council. You have to go back to the previous year to the local council elections. And what happened then was that Belfast had been a unionist majority city um, since partition. It had had a unionist majority. And the flag at City Hall had flown there 365 days a year from, I think it was 1906, but what happened in those local council elections is unionism lost its majority. 
And at that stage, the Alliance Party held the balance of power. So there was a move by the two nationalist parties, by, by Sinn Féin and, and backed by the SDLP, to say, you know, it's this. It's time the flag came down. There's no reason for it to be flying 365 days a year, Lance says, look, can we have a compromise here, lads? Obviously, unionists wanted the flag to fly all year round. Nationalists wanted it gone. Alliance said, let's do it in line with government policy. Let's have it on designated days. And that was what happened. So there was a vote on the, the 3rd of December um, 2012. And that amendment proposed by the Alliance Party passed. The vote had been known. This had been building up over the space of several months. And so a large crowd gathered outside, several hundred people, many of them wrapping union flags, a lot of them just peaceful protesters, um, but some of them were masked. And when the word trickled outside that the vote had taken place and that the flag was to come down, well, then trouble started. And what happened at the back of City Hall, if anyone knows the geography of Belfast, there's large gates that lead into the car park and a crowd pushed their way in there and they tried to storm the, the city hall. I think, I suppose, in terms of recent times, of people trying to get into Capitol Hill, but think of it on a much smaller scale in terms of Belfast. And, you know, I suppose one of the, the, the images from that time is the, the smashed window at those doors of, of city hall and the little old lady sticking her head through the, the broken glass and shouting, no surrender. No surrender! And that was the beginning then of four months of flag protests, of union flag protests, which brought parts of Belfast and beyond because they spread out geographically to other places to an absolute standstill and that really busy Christmas rush build up to the Christmas period. And by the time that it ended, it was estimated it cost the economy around £50 million. What was the aim of the protests? I mean... That's a simple question in a sense, but there was a vote. The only way you can overturn this vote is by, well, storming the building or changing electoral results through electoral campaigning. But what did the protesters hope for? Well, interestingly, I suppose, let's put some context in this as well. Not only had in the local council elections had unionism lost its majority. If you go back to the Westminster elections that happened before that, this was a major political upset in that Naomi Long won that aspect that that East Belfast Westminster seat, taking it from the DUP leader Peter Robinson. The first time in the history of that constituency that a non-unionist had held that seat. And so that in itself had caused a political upset. And so in the build-up to this, uh, the flag protest, the flag vote in Belfast City Council, there was thousands of leaflets were delivered door to door all around East Belfast and they um, were accusing the alliance of colluding with nationalism in terms of flag policy at Belfast City Council. Now, it doesn't take a genius to work out what that was all about in terms of trying to move that hardline unionist loyalist vote away from the alliance and back towards the DUP and that meant that after that vote took place, so this is about a lot more, I suppose, in a union flag. That was what triggered it. But it was also the start of, I suppose, what we see now. And it's that sort of slow loss of a majority, slow loss of your control, slow loss of that sort of unionism supremacy, that all of that had been happening very slowly up until this time. And 
I think that, you know, the, the loss of the Westminster seat, the loss of the majority, this was intended to be unionism's fight back. But I don't think anyone, whether they be politicians from either side, the police or even journalists like myself were not caught unawares by what happened after that because I don't think anyone expected it to turn into what it did because it turned to all of that and all the politics of it and then throw into the mix something that hadn't really existed until then in terms of protest before and that's social media. And Facebook became a major part of the union flag protests. And the protests were therefore huge and somewhat spontaneous and even somewhat unorganised, perhaps, even though they were organised on social media. I can, you know, it's probably going to astound people listening to this when I, I tell them, but as someone who reports on these kind of activities, and I couldn't tell you how many riots I've been to in the past, I have the scars to show that I've been reporting on riots for 20 years, thankfully not, not in recent, recent years. Um, but if I had to go into a certain area where there was a riot or a protest, I would have known that there was a person in that area who was in charge, let's say, a person who would have been passing themselves off as a community worker, but let's face it, been someone with paramilitary contacts, and as a media person, you would have known that that person was in charge, and you'd have got the sense quite quickly if, as a person from the media, whether you were welcome and safe there, or whether you weren't. And the Union flag protests were the first time that that was very different, because basically there was nobody in charge, it was chaos. So these Facebook pages just popped up everywhere, all over the place. There was dozens of them, um, you know, when it was Rathcool Union flag page, you know, Shankill Union flag, Lower Shankill Union flag, there was dozens of them. And they'd have said, flag protest tonight at 8 o'clock, everyone meet here. And that would have been it. That was about as much organisation went into it. And you'd have showed up to report on them. And sometimes people would have been fine because they went, no, it's grand, just stand up there and put on me. And other times they were extremely aggressive and hostile, but you just didn't know what you were going to get because there was no one in charge. Now, when it came to those weekend, those Saturday huge protests, clearly there was orchestration in that. But in a lot of cases, it just became something that Christmas that was uncontrollable. It was like, you know, a stone rolling down a hill and it just kept getting... The more and more and the more people who came involved and what really, I think, made, made, made it last longer than it should have lasted was the police response to it in those early days. Now, normally when you hold a protest, you want journalists to see it. You want journalists to report on it. That's the, that's in some senses, the whole point. But it was more of an expression of anger. So, I mean, there were some sticky situations for many journalists, including yourself. Well, they, they as I said, sometimes they were extremely hostile to the media. And because there was no org- organisation and there was no like spokesperson as such being put forward by these areas and the media became the enemy too. So they considered us to be part of the enemy um, and whatever way. And so sometimes they were really hostile. I remember one of the very first days of the fly protest going over to um, Tigers Bay where they had started blocking off the, the entrance there as you drive down towards North Queen Street. And we arrived and the photographer was taking pictures and I tried to talk to a few people and a guy who had a scarf up around his mouth come over and said, if you don't get out of here, I am going to cut your throat, you Fenian. And I'll not repeat the other word. And there was a police officer standing beside him when he said it. And I turned around and said to the police officer, did you hear what he just said to me? You won't do anything about that. And he says, I think you should just leave. And that was his advice to me. So so what we're saying is riots have rules here and uh, 
protests have etiquette and those seem to go out the window for this particular time. Also but remember it was the winter and it was a really, really harsh winter. And when I say this, people laugh, but I'm telling you the truth. In all my 20 odd years as a journalist, all our riots took place in the summer. Riots here are a summer pastime. They were always associated with either the flag or with the, the marching season or then when you came to August and no sort of internment. But all of the times that I had spent, it would have started in, in June um, with the sort of tour of the north where there would have always been traditionally, you know, you'd had disturbances and riots at that and then ended maybe with the last, you know, the, the last Saturday parades, which at the end of September and everything that came in between. But it was the first time I was leaving the house in the morning to go to work with like three pairs of socks on, a pair of boots, thermal clothes, because I know I would have had to spend my night running around rats in snow blizzards. It was freezing. It was probably one of the coldest winters um, that had been on record for many years. First of all, you weren't fighting anyone who was able to articulate what the, you know, they didn't want to speak to us on many occasions. So you couldn't get someone to articulate what the protest was about, which made it very difficult to cover in any kind of semblance. But also a lot of the roads were being blocked by women and children and people in prams. And there's just times I thought, you know, regardless of how you feel about the flag, it's freezing cold and it's two weeks to Christmas. And, you know, I thought those children should be in the house watching Christmas movies, you know. And this is just, it was, it was, very, very, a very depressing time in terms of where I thought things were going here. But also, I could have told you and anyone could have told you, Vass, that they, those protests were going to achieve the sum total of nothing. You know, the vote had been taken, the flag wasn't going back up again. I wonder, do elites, for want of a better word, do commentators, do nationalists underestimate the importance of the Union flag to the Unionist people? And maybe that's why people were not aware of how passionate the people would be. I think that this should have been. And I suppose in terms of the media, there was definitely that night. I don't think anyone expected that trouble to continue on for the months that it did. But also, Belfast City Council itself, you know, there was a nationalist, there was not a nationalist majority, there was no unionist majority. You know, lands held a balance of power. To have that vote on the 3rd of December knowing how controversial it was going to be and knowing how important that those Christmas months are to the business of the city centre and to hospitality. You know, when I was doing, I did a piece on the, the anniversary of the fly protest and I spoke to a number of people, including a number of business owners, and everyone I spoke to said, you know, at the time, I don't take anything to do with politics, I'm just trying to run a business. But why on earth could that vote not have been taken in January? You know, why did it have to be in December at the height of the Christmas season? Because it nearly put and did put the lights out for some businesses. Because especially hospitality, that's Christmas dinner season. That's when they make their money. January is a very lean month for hospitality. They need enough, make enough money in December to carry them through January. And as part of that feature, I spoke to Michael Dean. His Deans of Horror Street be booked solid in the month of December with Christmas dinners and people on festive nights out. And he said that on a Saturday night, he would have maybe served four people. And one week, in the full week, he did nine covers. He served nine people in a week in Christmas. And your staff still need paid, your bills still need paid. And he was saying you couldn't plan for it. So you were still having to plan as if you were going to have a full restaurant, which meant buying all the food and supplies and having the staff in place. And then people just weren't showing up because they just weren't able or they were afraid to come into town and town just became like a ghost town. So Belfast City Council and the councillors, like their main aim is to make sure that Belfast is thriving. Was it an act of self-harm and stupidity to take that photo on the flag? And all well be it, 
It may have been a legitimate thing to do. I mean, the flag flies on designated days at Buckingham Palace. If it's good enough, you know, for the king, it should be good enough for, for Belfast City Hall. But at the same time, too, did it have to be in December? With hindsight, if we could go back, would those councillors who pushed for that vote, would they say that was a bad idea to do that in December? Or would they still argue, well, that would just be given into the mob, you know, the council was taking it as a democratic vote, that was it. But it did cause untold damage. And also, to confidence in policing. The policing I witnessed firsthand, up close and personal, and I do think that had the policing been different in that first week, that protest wouldn't have lasted four months. You've written that under Matt Baggett's leadership uh, that he had adopted this least worst option method of policing to kind of just let them happen. Um, Do you think that was a mistake then? Well, Matt Baggett came right after, at that stage, the policing board who obviously appointed the chief constable. It was their preference that if they'd have took someone from the PSNI top team, that that person would have clearly had to have come from within the RUC. So I think more from nationalists on the policing board decided that it would be better to have someone from the outside. And we'd already had an English chief constable in Hugh Yord, and that was, you know, a man who could hardly be considered to be softly, softly in terms of his policing approach. Matt Baggett is, was the head of the um, the Police Officers Christian Association. He was a very devout Christian. He was very good living and he was very determined that he was going to come along and police the peace. That was his job. He was the peacetime chief constable. This was a peaceful society. He was going to take everybody out of the armed Land Rovers and put them into squad cars. He was going to put the bobbies on the beat, the officers in short sleeve shirts, you know, this utopian vision that we were going to have for the first time, a move away from policing that was specifically and and firstly security-led to policing that was going to be community-led. And then those protests happened. And I'll tell you an example. I remember going up to to report on a protest up at the West Circular. And anyone who knows that part of the Springfield Road know, especially in rush hour traffic, that is an arterial route that many people use to get out of the city. Imagine that Christmas week as well. You know, it's just chaka. So we knew there was going to be a protest. How did we know? We read it on Facebook. We went up to cover the um, the protest. You could see that there was men who had links to paramilitary groups and these are people who would have known. So I knew them and knew them to have links to paramilitary groups, but they weren't on the road. They were saying it was women, children, girls with prams, teenage boys, very young people. And there was a police officer, a very senior police officer who was in charge and he said, to the protesters, while I was standing there within my earshot and I could hear them, you are not blocking both lanes of this road. That's fine. You've blocked that side of the road, but I'm going to keep traffic moving here. You're not blocking the whole thing. Keep over there. So this went on for about 10 or 15 minutes. The traffic was backed up. There was a traffic jam, but he was making sure the traffic in some way still continued to flow um, on the way out of the city. And then... He came back and I could hear him saying to the uniform officers, "Just, I've been told just to let them block it. And they went, what? And he went, yeah, no, not my decision. So word came from him on high, stop moving them, let them block it. And that was that least worst option police and I'm talking about. So from the hierarchy, and we can only assume then that had to come from Matt Baggett, they were told, if you try and forcibly remove them, off the road, it'll look bad in terms of policing and it'll start a riot. Rather than start a riot, 
We'll just let them block it in the hope that these things will fizzle out of their own accord. It didn't stop the disturbances. There were still riots, and specifically in East Belfast, there were still riots at, at the interface there, um, and homes were attacked, and there was still violence, and people were being arrested. But in terms of those nightly flag protests, they were allowing them to continue on blocking the roads, saying that the legislation wasn't clear and they weren't sure what they'd be charging people with and all sorts of other absolute nonsense. And, you know, I have spoke to people who would been involved in policing since and they said day two, when start blocking the roads, go and identify who looks like the ringleaders, start pulling them out, arresting them and charging them. And I can guarantee you that wouldn't have lasted past a week. And I don't think it will because... The vast majority of people who were involved in that were completely law-abiding. There were people, you know, who had no previous criminal record and they wouldn't have wanted to get a criminal record. And we've seen them once the arrest started because once obviously patients ran out with both the police and the protesters publicly and they did start arresting people and putting them up in court and they were getting quite severe sentences. That, that was it. The trickle started and then you were getting a handful of people showing up to a protest. And then, you know, I always remember there was a, a snow blizzard one night I have no idea who this man was or if he's still alive, but there was sideways snow and at the top of the Crumlin Road, just at the turn of Leg and Aylor, there was just one man sat with a flag and a union flag and he stood there like a snowman with a snow beating him sideways for about an hour on his own. Oh God, he's really, really angry that the union flag came down. They, they faded away after about four months, as you say. The PSNI records 2,980 protests took place in four months. 160 officers, police officers were injured and 362 people were charged with various offences and the policing bill added up to £21.9 million. You know, after four months, the passion seemed to leave. Now, I just wanted to, I mean, we can come back to that one, but they were somewhat spontaneous, they were somewhat disorganised, they were somewhat chaotic, although there were recognisable leaders in, in these protests. One of them was the now deceased Willie Fraser and one of whom was the now prominent unionist activist, loyalist activist, Jimmy Bryson. Well, we all knew Willie Fraser. Every journalist would have known who Willie Fraser was. He run the, uh, a victims group in South Armagh. He was a, a controversial character. His his family had been targeted by the IRA, but there was always rumours that um, Willie was linked to the, the Glen Ann gang. And then following his death, the BBC reported that he, to a spotlight, Journalists had made a deathbed confession that he provided weapons um, to loyalists that were used in, in dozens of, of murders during the, the conflict. So Willie was, you know, one of the key players. The sooner our politicians waking up to the fact that unless this flag goes back up, this is not going to stop. This flag apparently doesn't matter. We shouldn't worry about it. Well, if it doesn't matter, why is it not back up? And those Saturday protests, so... The first Saturday, thousands of people showed up and I was there in the middle of it while the tricolour was set on fire and the crowd was, you know, hostile to the media as well on that day. Um, And they continued then every Saturday, but they also turned into a procession, so people would have then marched from certain areas. And that was particularly problematic in East Belfast because they were come past the Short Strand in what was an illegal parade. They weren't applying for permission for the Parades Commission. Homes were being attacked. It was all becoming really out of hand. But as you said, there in the middle of it then was Jimmy Bryson, who none of us had seen before. None of us knew he was. He looked extremely young. It seemed quite bizarre that, you know, that this person was who was leading these protests or who they were following him because he 
looked, you know, like he was just out of school at that point in time. And he was standing with the, the loud hailer along with Willie Fraser. We've gone about 50 steps backwards, so I don't know where we're at now at the, at the minute. And the conduct of the PSNI um, has put us to this stage. So see right now, it's all up in the air. I have no idea where this is going to go. Um, they're probably, I would say, the only two, maybe apart from Jim Wilson, maybe in, in East Belfast, they were the only ones that were particularly prominent during that time. Everybody else seemed to keep their heads down and be part of the crowd rather than make, the, make it clear that they were the organisers. Key figures in the union flag protests. But tonight, Willie Fraser is in custody and police are also looking to arrest Jimmy Bryson. And in the end, Jimmy Bryson and Willie Fraser did get arrested and they did get prosecuted. And in fact, they shared a cell together in Wagabri, um for a while. And that was then, once you took those sort of ringleaders out of it, then you noticed that it disappeared. But had you told me 10 years ago that you would have had, you know, people like my colleague Sam McBride writing articles saying that Jimmy Bryson was helping to develop DUP policy in terms of the protocol or he'd be a leading figure in the protocol, out of went, you know, your head's cut. Like, that's never going to happen. But um, I think if we talk about who benefited from the fire protest in terms of profile, Clearly, you know, there, there were figures emerged from that and, and he was one of them. And uh, it should point out that he says he has no regrets at all about the flag protest and his only regret, I think, is that he didn't use more of the leverage that they'd built up at the time. But clearly, Jimmy Bryson, for want of a better word, is a player in our in our politics. We mentioned the Alliance Party. Do you think the flag protests and and the focus on the Alliance Party after it probably affected the party negatively in the short term. It definitely caused major problems for members of the Alliance Party, you know, in the short term. The police patrol was guarding the offices of the Alliance MP, Naomi Long. She is subject to a death threat. Um, Naomi Long's offices in East Belfast were attacked. There had to be a permanent police presence outside the homes of senior members of the Alliance Party and outside their constituency offices. There was one Alliance Party councillor, Laura McNamee, who actually had to move from her home and then in the end just give up politics altogether and move to England and come to teach over there. You know, and I suppose to put that into some kind of context, Sinn Féin and the SDLP drove that vote, but they don't have constituency offices in the middle of, you know, unionist areas of East Belfast or North Down and the Alliance Party did. And so they were easy targets in that respect, but also politically because of the perceived threat that they were posing to unionism in places like East Belfast. They were clearly made the bogeyman and we wanted to go back to those leaflets again to see that. But if you go back to the origins of the Alliance Party when it was formed, for the want of, you know, a better phrase, these were the sort of kumbaya unionists, like they were inoffensive, like they weren't offensive to anyone. To all of a sudden find themselves bogeymen, to find themselves at the centre and the target of this really, really visceral unionist anger um, that didn't show any signs of, of weakening as time went on must have been completely and utterly terrifying for them at the time. Very much spontaneous and very much spontaneously came from the loyalist working classes and and I just wonder if there's a classist aspect to all of this because in Belfast vernacular speech a flag is pronounced flag and people generally would describe them as the flag protests and we heard people on the TV and they would say flags and then the whole thing came in well that person is a flagger and even politicians were described as a wee bit flaggy. This is not a flag. Right. This is a flag. <laughs> 
Which one? The people who have this flag, suddenly the people who like this flag. <laughs> do, you, do you think there was a lot of elitism and looking down on these people? Do you know, one of the things that I think around that time that was really destructive in terms of community relations, I said to you, all of these protests were organised by social media and by Facebook. It was the first time we'd seen Facebook being used by guess. But then we also seen the emergence of the Lad Flag Facebook page, which was supposed to be like a satirical Facebook page, you know, to take a look at this. And at the time, people thought it was, you know, because people were trapped in their cars, sitting for two hours trying to get home from work, and this was providing some light relief. But immediately, I could see that rather than just being harmless fun, that a lot of that was about going through people's posts and taking out spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes and making out that everyone in the community was thick and uneducated and, and there was a sneeriness about it. Um, and also there was comments about, you know, women from the loyalist community and people and what they look like and what they sounded like. And all of that made me really uncomfortable as someone who's a very working class woman myself and comes from a working class community. Comedy, when it's really funny, should punch up. You know, comedy should aim at big business, it should aim at government, it should aim at the elite, it should aim at people in power. It shouldn't punch down. And if you get your, you know, your kicks out of punching down on people who you believe whether they are or not, because, you know, some of the people who were behind that lad flag account maybe didn't have any reason to be looking down their nose at anyone. But if you believe that that sneery type of comedy, that laughing at people you think are less fortunate than yourself is funny, well, I don't, you know, and I, I, I never did. And I do think that that is it, it alienated sections of the media. And if you want to put that into a larger context, a very similar thing happened in England coming up to the Brexit vote, where you can see people from the powerful elite saying, you know, anyone who votes for this is thick or they're stupid or they're racist or whatever. And that meant that, you know, the London media didn't quite understand what was going on in those red wall parts of, of the north of England. I do think that there was a part of that that a lot of the media, first of all, didn't come from those communities, so didn't understand it. And second of all, there was a sneeriness and a, a looking down on people instead of asking or trying to understand what was going on. Now, my point of view, it was difficult to ask what was going on because people were distrustful of the media and didn't want to speak to you. But I did manage then to get people to speak to me. It took a while, but you did manage to get people to speak to you. And that's why people who put themselves up as the spokesperson of those flag protesters, people like Willie Fraser and like Jimmy Bryson, then were able to cash in on that profile because if the protesters didn't want to speak to you, well then who are we going to speak to? Speak to them. Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Euronews, Channel 4, Al Jazeera, UTV, CNN. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.